Hey everyone, Kevin Canale here with a quick note on today's episode. So we recorded this episode live in front of an audience at last week's Mako Summer Conference. It was part of our podcast spotlight session. And this year we're talking about tech tools for tomorrow's counties. We sat down with Jennifer Robinson, Global Government Strategic Advisor at SAS, to talk about why data analytics are changing the game for local governments. They're helping to identify residents' wants and needs, measuring the impact of policies and programs, improving productivity, and promoting smart, efficient government. Jennifer and her team at SAS are experts at helping counties put their data to work with predictive analytics and embedded AI capabilities you know we love tech to foster innovation and drive decisions that better constituent outcomes. And that's why SAS sponsored this spotlight session, and that's why SAS is investing in giving local governments the power to know so they can improve outcomes across the board. Now, this recording starts right as we jump into the conversation with Jennifer, but one of the reasons she's really good at her job is because she's a local elected official, and she has been since 1999. So she understands local government, and she understands what we're all about. You can learn more about SAS and the Summer Conference, which did break records, by the way, in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Jennifer Robinson from the SAS Institute. Uh, SAS is a supporter and sponsor of our conference today and has sponsored this session. But I think the content for everybody who listens to the podcast as we get this out to the larger universe. Yes. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at SAS, what SAS is, and, and what you want to get into today on the podcast. Okay. SAS is a data analytics company. So our objective is to help businesses and governments utilize their data to be able to unlock insights that can help them operate and serve their uh, citizens or their customers better. Uh, my role at SAS historically has been working with local governments. Um, recently, I moved into a global role, so I'm working with governments all over the world and all levels of government. And it's, it's, it's interesting because we understand you are a local elected official, and I want to talk a little bit about that, your history there, but I think that really means you understand what we're doing here. You understand the needs of local government and really the, the core mission of local government, which is to, to serve our residents, protect them, keep them safe, and to do that as efficiently as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my career background has been in software development and data. As I said at the um, council table, I often see elected officials make decisions based on their gut. They say, oh, I, I feel we should do this. Mm-hmm. And then I hear other ones who, who operate off of intuition. I think we should do this. The nice thing about data is it gives you that information that gives you assurance so that you can say, I know we should do this, to take those informed actions. I think that's, I mean, that, that's a good framework for how you don't have to be a tech person yourself to benefit from more you know, technology and data helping to drive decision making. So it may well be that you know, we build this as a technology focused solutions for your local government or words to that effect. And those are the folks who may have come in the, the door to listen to this session. We may have some tech inclined folks in the room, but if that's not who you are, keep listening because you have an opportunity to benefit even in secondary ways, even if you don't understand how this was collected and aggregated, part of the role of a partner like SAS is to bring this to a level so decision makers can put things to action more wisely. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're we're outcomes based, right? We want to make sure that whatever we do produces a good outcome, a better outcome than what you were doing before. 
Um, the interesting thing about local governments is that we have been running operational systems for probably 40 or more years, right? And those operational systems are collecting data. And for the longest time, we weren't doing anything with that data. But it is a wealth of information in that data. And if we can use it, we can become that much more efficient, that much more effective. We can show our citizens that we're providing better services to them just by being more informed. Right. And I, I think, for me, analytics data is really about telling a story, right? Yeah. So if you're, like, in the Department of Public Works and you need a new dump truck, right, and let's say, you know, I know that it's more expensive for me to maintain this old dump truck than it is for just to buy a new one, but I don't have the data and the analytics, or I have them, but I haven't, you know, formulated them in a way that I can explain and tell that story to a decision maker, to a budget person, to, to really explain and make the case. So I like to think of data, uh, especially in government, is telling a story and driving those better outcomes through the analytics and through the analysis and sharing that with your residents, your constituents, and making sure they understand why you're doing what you're doing. We know transparency is so important. So how does data, how do analytics play into transparency as well? Okay, that's, that's a great question. And, and you're right. It, data is about telling a story. And how do we tell that story? It's through identifying hidden patterns and trends that are going on and being able to surface that so that policymakers can make decisions based on those hidden patterns and trends. And so you might say, um, yeah, I know there's, there's probably some people who utilize more of our social services than others, right? But you don't really know unless you're gonna dig down into that right. data. So um, Wake County, North Carolina did just that. They said, we, we feel like we have some high utilizers of our system, but we really can't get a handle on it. And so they integrated data from their jails, their emergency management services, and their homeless shelters. And what they found out is that they had 807 people that had touched all three of those systems. Now, we're talking about a county of over a million people. Right. But 807 of them are costing a lot of money. When they drilled down further, they found out that there's 26 people that cost the system the bulk of the money. And so now they have that information to arm them themselves to say, what kind of policies do we want to set? What kind of programs do we need to do to break this cycle of high utilization? And they're not going to waste their money trying to address the needs of people who don't need the systems. They're able to go in and say, let's intervene in this meaningful way. So they identify those hidden patterns. They tell the story. It gives the decision makers the information they need to be able to justify their expenditures. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a magnified version of the old 80-20 rule to some degree that sometimes your ratio isn't even 80-20. It might be 94-6. <laughs> Uh, but right. <laughs> yeah, but that can happen. I, I mean, it, it seems that there's a Maryland application to that exact kind of data gathering and data informed delivery that might make sense for our member counties. So give me a moment. But um, just this last legislative session, uh, MAKO worked with a lot of partners through the legislature to advance a bill um, sort of modernizing the way we support emergency medical transport. And a, an important facet of that bill was mobile integrated health. In part, taking your emergency apparatus and getting it proactively to the people who you can benefit, um, not in t necessarily in times of emergency, but you, you take the ambulance and the staff to the county fair and you do some oral cancer screenings for 250 residents right there on site, people who might be from a part of the county that's underserved, don't have quite enough uh, you know, family practitioners, those sorts of things. Like, 
There's a list of things you can do with resources that your county, your municipal government, your volunteer fire companies might have. The idea of having a better sense of who your frequent flyers are, where, where, are, the, where are the addresses that you've been called for like you know, multiple overdoses. Sadly, we're still in the midst of an opioid crisis. So having that kind of information to drive, how can we get ahead of emergency needs, treat some of those things in a non-emergency way, that it seems like it's exactly the kind of problem where better information can get us to work more quickly and wisely on this sort of thing. Fair? 100%. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that kind of supports that, and if I were to give a piece of advice to my peers in elected office at the local level, is I'd say it's all about data sharing, right? And it's data sharing within your organization, making sure that your departments are sharing, but it's also that data sharing with your peer organizations at your same level, with your hospitals, with your cities, with the other counties. And then you talk about that vertical data sharing. We need to get better at the local level of sharing our data with the state and the state sharing data back down to us because that information is critical for us to be able to provide the better services for our citizens. And I agree. So, I mean, what do you think the, the biggest roadblock there is? I mean, you see this all the time. I'm sure SAS goes in and whether it's state, local government, whatever the application is, whatever the user is, what are the typical roadblocks? Is it just old school thinking of, you know, we're in silos and we're not, we don't need to necessarily share and we don't trust the, the people on the other end? Is that what you normally see? Yeah. I, so sometimes people are under the impression that the technology is the road barrier because they don't understand the technology. The technology is the easy part, which is kind of, you know, I'm saying it from a person who works for a data analytics company, but that's not the impediment. The impediment is actually in process. And it's very difficult to share data um, for one part of what you're talking about is that I want your data, I'm going to give right, you my data, right, right. right? We don't want to share it out because we don't know what you're going to do with my data. Mm -hmm. And we need that assurance that you're going to be trustworthy with it. So you have to set up these practices and policies and understandings and agreements ahead of time so that the agencies can trust one another if they're going to share the data. The second part of that is that there's a lot of personal, personal identifiable information, a PII. That's, that's that information that you want to be um, very, very insecure about. And that's why you need to work with companies that know how to deal with that type of data because in, data in the wrong hands can be very bad. And you want to make sure that you're protecting your citizens' data at the highest level. Right. I think that is sort of a natural follow-up. I mean, Maryland has our own set of sunshine laws by various names in different jurisdictions and states and other countries and so forth. I think you know, that's, that's, it's a widely adopted principle and it varies place by place. I have to imagine SAS has experience working with partners under their own set of rules uh, you know, the idea of personally identifiable information, you don't want to reveal medical information about your residents or your employees. Sure, that's an obvious principle. But at the same time, you do have an obligation as a public se sector entity that a lot of the information you may have would be considered in Maryland a public document in many ways and requestable by, by your residents who, who would want to see what you're dealing with. Is that part of the challenge here, too, to have... When you get into large-scale data and information sharing, making sure that that doesn't become its own burden for you as a custodian of public information. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. yeah, and I think that term custodian is right. such a good word. Um, there is some information that should be shared and some information that should not be shared. For those who believe that you know as much data should be shared as possible in that open data principle, 
think about aggregating your data. So you're sharing the information out about, about masses of people, but you're not identifying individuals. So I think that's very important. Um, the second thing is, is you need to look at your laws in the state in which I live, which is um, a Dillon's rule state, which means we, you know, you all know what it means. Mm -hmm. We have to get permission from the state to do certain things. We had to go to the state legislature to ask permission to not disclose the children that sign up for camp programs. He said, well, why does that matter? Well, because there's some people who would like to have that information for nefarious reasons. So we had to go and do that. And, and so you have to think about this modern age, there are gonna be a whole set of laws around data and data protection. And there's other aspects that we need to be aware of as local governments. Data is going to become a commodity. It already is becoming a commodity. The car manufacturers say that they're going to make more money off of the data collected off of the movement of vehicles than they are off of the sale of a vehicle. So what does that mean? Who's going to buy that data? Well, obviously, vendors like Starbucks are going to buy that data. Are they going to charge cities and counties to have access to that data so that we can you know, run our transportation network? We need to be thinking about that and collectively communicating to the federal government about setting up standards so that our governments are protected from having to buy data. The other aspect of that, I want to mention this really fast. You all have companies that create software systems for you. When you do those contracts with them, you need to make sure that in that contract it says that you own the data. Because there are companies that in there, they're going to own the data. And if you want your data back, if you want all that permit data that they've been collecting on your behalf for 20 years and you want it, they might start charging you for it. And we don't know what the future holds, so you need to protect yourself now for that future when data is a commodity. And it sounds like, I mean, you, you, it sounds like you've had some experience there where people have run into to some issues. So I want to get into to SAS and sort of some real world examples of, of the work that you're doing. I know you've been traveling a lot, right? You're out there, you're on the ground, you're seeing folks. So let's talk about some of the, the real world uh, solutions that SAS can offer and stuff that you've done with local governments, with state government, and how that is maybe different from your work in the private sector and what SAS does. Like, local government is different in a lot of ways. We've talked about that, but yeah. I want to get into some real world stuff too. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover between what we do in the private sector and what we do in the public sector. Mm -hmm. For example, we do a lot of work around fraud. Every single time you swipe your credit card, that's SAS in the background checking to make sure that there's not a fraudulent use of your credit card. Mm -hmm. We do that same thing with governments as far as making sure that the right people are paying into the government system that should be and the right people are being paid out mm -hmm. right so program integrity I would say at the county level the areas that are gar uh, garnering the most interest would be around um, flooding in the environment mm -hmm. that would be one the second would be public safety and um, Another one would be the you know tax revenue and program integrity. I would say those are probably the three biggies for counties mm -hmm. um, that we're seeing um, expressed by our customers. Mm -hmm. And I'd be happy to, to tell you more about those if you want to know. Yeah, so like I, I'm interested in the budget piece, right? Because I know when you're sitting down to make a budget, budgets are priorities. And we've talked about data telling a story. So when you go in and you start working with local governments, what's the first thing you have to do to sort of find out what they have, where it is, and how you can get it all and make it work well together, again, to tell that story and harness all the data to drive those outcomes. Right, right. So one thing that we don't do too much of is like case management systems that manage your budget. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What we do is we take all that information that you're collecting and we look for those hidden patterns and trends to help you optimize what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so um, an example of that would be um, like Los Angeles County. Um, 
they had a social services program and people were, um, there were these fraudulent rings out there that had learned how to game the system and they were pulling money out. Well, that meant the people who needed the money were getting less of it or they were going to have to tax the citizens more to get the amount that they needed. And so by using analytics, they were able to identify those patterns and trends and find out who's gaming the system and then cut, cut that out. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, I think they reduced uh, I think it's the number is 80% of their, wow. their fraud. And so that now they're able to get more money to the people who need it. Um, we have a phenomenal system, and I think most of you have heard of artificial intelligence and machine learning. We have a, an amazing system that I love that we do with um, a couple counties in North Carolina that is around assessing property. Mm. And that's really challenging to make sure that you're taxing property appropriately so that the, you know, people are paying in the right amount, so it seems fair. Mm -hmm. We have a system that reassesses every property in a community every single night and it, using machine learning, and it does it with greater accuracy than the traditional method used by mm. assessors. Mm. And it, we don't replace that traditional system, we run alongside it so that they can cross-reference. And that means that you have fewer disputes with your citizens, it means um, that you have a good forecast because we're forecasting forward. You know how your market trends are changing and how values are changing. Right. So this is a couple of examples from the tax side. Fascinating. And, and assessments, certainly that's a, a hot topic always, right? People yeah. don't like paying taxes and they, they like to dispute. So I think that's fascinating. I mean, is that the, the direction we're heading? <clears throat> and in your mind, can we ever get rid of like the boots on the ground and just go to machine learning? I know right now they're running, you know, in conjunction with one another, but is that is that the future? Yeah, the future is not to replace the boots on the ground. It's to allow the boots to do uh, maybe better dances. Mm -hmm. uh, because what happens is, is you know, I, I go and I work in my government office and I spend a lot of time reading documents, reconciling between records, doing a lot of grunt work. The machine can do a lot of the grunt work, so then you can apply your common sense, your um, you know your opinion, your 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 knowledge of the community to be able to make the better decision. So it's not meant to replace people; it's meant to augment people. And, and I and I think that sometimes uh, data can be a, a clue in discovery. Um, so in, in in Maryland, we have a number of different structures of county governments including a number of our larger counties are in two, uh, in, uh, have a, a council and executive. And in many cases, the county council has some oversight role of the executive functions. There's sort of a, you know, a separation of powers concept. And it, it may well be that data-driven tools can be one of the ways to, to promote accountability and efficiency in services at that sort of oversight level as well as the management level. It seems to me you can serve like both masters that way sure. um, by, by having, you know, clearer records of how we're accomplishing stuff and when and with what frequency. Or if there's an aberration, then maybe we're finding a leak or fraud or something along those lines. Right? Yeah, and I would say that to add on to that, it, it fosters collaboration, which I know MAKO is very mm -hmm. important to MAKO is that cross-government <clears throat> collaboration. So within your organization and across organizations, Data is a great way to foster that collaboration because you're getting everybody on the same page. Right. They all have information and the information that they want. And the numbers don't lie, right? So everybody's looking at the same thing. I think that's super important. So you, you mentioned public safety too, obviously another hot topic. What is SAS doing there? What are you hearing as, as one of the biggest asks from SAS um, as to, to how we can improve those outcomes and make sure that everybody is transparent, everybody is aware of what's happening, and how can SAS help to, to tell that story as well? Okay. That, um, there's so much room for improvement here. Mm -hmm. If you ever talk to police officers or, or your sheriff's office, 
the work to do an investigation is exhaustive. Right? They often have 12 or 20 different systems, and to do an investigation, they have to go into each one of those systems and manually pull out the information, right? So they're going in, they're looking for this person, they're looking for an event. Mm -hmm. With data analytics, you can pull all of those systems into one place. You can have the machine go and do all of that discovery. So all you have to do is go into one place and type in, let's say, a person's name, and it's not like you get this table of all the stuff. You actually get what we call a link analysis. You often see this if you ever watch a police show. At some point, somebody walks up to a whiteboard and goes, <laughs> Wendy Hook was last seen driving a Ford Mustang at the Walmart, right? right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so the system can develop that for you, and then you can click on it, and you can click the Walmart, and you can see every crime that happened there, and that's where those trends and patterns become very obvious. Mm. It cuts down on the time to do an investigation tremendously. And everybody knows that the faster you can address a crime, the faster it gets solved, the more likely it's gonna get solved. And that's huge. But the other thing that the analytics can do is it's now you're, you're feeding it with tremendous amounts of data and it can identify those trends and patterns. And so what it does is it starts seeing where the emerging trends and patterns are. So it can tell you not that somebody is bad, but something is happening that should have some attention on it. Take a look at this. This area looks like there might be gang activity evolving in this area, and that allows a law enforcement agency to be proactive. So not just faster in solving crimes, but more proactive in preventing them. And, and if you're a, a relatively small county here in Maryland, your sheriff's office might be thinking, we don't have the internal resources to hire a staff of three data technicians to to pull all this stuff together and do all this kind of analysis. So this must be reserved for the, the big shot places because we just don't have the kind of resources to do that. Uh, the alternative is think a little outside the box and think about a partner who does have that expertise, has done it somewhere else, and could could share that with you know in collaboration with your local government. So that's that's where a player like SAS can show up and fill that gap. That right, and, and not just SAS, mm -hmm. but your fellow counties. Mm -hmm. You know, one, and, and crime is just one example of this. Water would be another one. It doesn't stop at the border, right? right? Water doesn't just flood your area and then stop at the end of your county. A criminal doesn't run across the border and go, oh, wait, I can't commit a crime here. This isn't my home county, right? right? So if the more that you can band together with your neighbors to create these systems, the better they're going to be. Because one thing we know about data systems is the more data you feed into it, the more accurate they are. So if you're bringing in multiple counties into a solution, not only are you sharing that load of being able to run the system, but you're also making the system better by having more information. And um, as far as you know, your point about data scientists, 20 years ago, you had to have a data scientist on staff to be able mm -hmm. to do these things. That is not the case anymore. Um, the ease of use has come down tremendously. A lot of these solutions are like the same as logging into Amazon. You log into the cloud, the information you want is right there, and you're, you're just playing with the end system. Mm -hmm. You're not having to create too much. Um, and then the cost has come down tremendously. It's just like anything, I mean, how much did it cost to buy a microwave in 1975 right. and you buy a microwave now? I mean, practically they're going to come in cereal boxes and you're going to get a little coupon for a microwave in a cereal box. Right. It's the same thing with analytics. It's just coming down tremendously. So I, I, I want to get back, you know, I, the, I like that the point you're making about counties working together and sharing the data and everyone having access and understanding because it doesn't stop at the county line, right? But, but how do you ensure, how can you, 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 you create that bridge to where everybody is comfortable 
with data security. And everybody is comfortable that county X and county Y aren't going to do something that's going to make county Z uncomfortable, right? How do you, how do you, how do you build that bridge and how can SAS help with that? Because again, I agree data is the future and there's more of it and we're going to have to protect it, but, but how can we all make sure that we are on the same page in terms of those standards and best practices? Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that because for the longest time, and those of you who have been working in local government for a while will experience this, there were pilots, right? I mean, everybody was like dashing out and they were like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And there, didn't, there wasn't longevity with these pilots because they didn't necessarily address the major need of the community. They might have been like kind of a cool thing, like wouldn't that be fun to try this? Right. Um, and then the other problem with that is that they weren't done in a strategic fashion. And so that's another piece of advice that I would give out to my fellow elected officials is be strategic. Do the planning in advance, right? I mean, you don't just allow anything to get built in your community. You, you probably have um, a, a comprehensive plan for your community so that things go, you know, structures go where you want them to go generally. And so the same thing with your data. Um, I would encourage people to think about having putting together now, you know, over the next couple of years, a data strategy for themselves. And as they work with their fellow counties to set up these data strategies in, in um, tandem mm -hmm. to say, hey, we're doing this, you're doing that, you know, and make sure that everybody's systems jive so that as you go forward and try to work together, you guys are going together with kind of one vision. Mm -hmm. And there's something that we call data governance. And that means, you know, who collects the data? What does the data look like? Who's going to manage it? Who has a say in it? And that kind of thing. And establishing all those fundamental aspects is going to be crucial for you to be able to be the most efficient in using your data going forward. Mm -hmm. And any advice for counties who are approached by private sector folks looking for data? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure this is happening more and more. And any best practices you can share for, for how to handle that and, and how to, again, not only protect it, but you're also going to be asked maybe to sell it or people want to use it for other things that, that may end up helping you at the end of the day. But, it's, but again, you're having to give them access to that data. So any best practices on how to deal with that um, with private sector folks who are maybe coming and looking for that? Okay, well, um, some of the, the data that you put out is probably going to be open data because mm -hmm. a lot of governments are having open data. I would just make sure that you think about what we call derived data, which is you know, if you put this piece of information together with this piece of information, do you end up creating a, an insight that is sensitive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so make sure that you're being very careful about your open data. And then for that data that you would consider maybe proprietary, for lack of another word, that's your, that's your data that you would maybe want to put out there, I would say make sure that whenever you're disseminating data like that to a, a vendor that you're doing it with a contract. Mm -hmm. making sure that there's understanding about how they can use it. And um, I really haven't worked a lot with the monetization of data. I think that's really where the world is going. Mm -hmm. But right now, you don't see a lot of governments selling or buying data. Right. I just want to make sure we don't end up having this on our you know, operating budget, yep. right? I don't, I don't want it someday to you know, say, oh my gosh, I'm spending thousands of dollars to buy my data back. <laughs> And is that is it important then, you know, we always talked about it takes government longer to catch up with technology than the private sector, right? And we're always playing catch up. But how do we get ahead of that and make sure that we're not in the position where we're having to buy data? How can we make sure that we're collecting that data better because we have it, we can harness it, we're in the community and not be in the position where all of a sudden you're getting shaken down, yeah. uh, for, you know, to buy data that you need to, to serve your residents? Yeah, well, if you do a data plan, one of the components of that is finding out. What software systems do you have that are collecting data? 
who's managing that software system for you? Where's the data going? I mean, I asked my government to do this. We found out we had 124 systems. Okay, we have a population of 180,000, just to kind of give you a mm -hmm. sense. We had 124 systems, and our permit data was being held by a company that was really just a couple guys in their basement. That's not okay, right? <laughs> right. So we, we corrected that. But you have to find out where is your data and who is holding it. When you do that inventory, it's gonna answer a lot of questions for you and it's gonna help you be able to shore that up and make sure you own that data, it's in a secure place, it's not vulnerable to a cyber attack, and, um, and that you're not going to be vulnerable and having to ask them, may I have my data in the future? Any other best practices you want to share from a SaaS perspective? Anything else you want folks to know about SaaS and, and how they can help um, every day? Uh, counties work every day to, to improve outcomes? Um, well, I would say um, one thing that people should know about SaaS is that we have a lot of subject matter experts. That's one of the approaches is that, that we have. We hire people like epidemiologists, um, doctors of pharmacology, um, uh, retired police officers, so that when we're building solutions, they're applicable and relevant to our customers. So I'd say that's the first thing they should know about SAS. The second thing they should know is that we invest over 25% of our profits back into research and development. Um, we consider ourselves to be um, the founding father, our, our, the owner of our company of data analytics. I mean, he started this in 1976. Um, we go forward, we keep cutting the edge. We're, we're doing advanced technologies. We are setting the pace for analytics. So um, one thing that governments should know if they're partner with us is that, first of all, we have longevity and we're secure. A lot of the young companies that start out, they're awesome, except for you don't know that they're gonna be able to take it to fruition. Um, we, we are a company that you can trust, right? Um, and so, and we're gonna be bringing you the best technologies. The, the last thing that local governments should know is that we're putting an emphasis on repeatability. One of the nice things about working in the government sector versus the private sector is that governments are willing to share their best practices. If a bank figures out how to do something to, that retains more customers, they're not going to tell another right. bank, right. but a government will share out with others. So what our focus is at SAS is trying to find those solutions that are uh, most important to our local governments, and then once we figure it out for one county, that we repeat it for other counties so that we keep that cost low. We want, we want local governments to be able to use SAS in a way that they've never been able to before. I like it. And, and one more time, dispelling the, the myth for some smaller counties that maybe think they can't afford this. Um, the cost has come way down, as you've mentioned. This is not out of reach anymore. It's very doable. It's just people have to be willing to, to make the, the plunge and reach out. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say usability is much better than it ever was. You used to have to have a data scientist who could code. Right. Now you just have to have somebody who can drag and click a mouse. It's a big difference. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, Michael, anything else from your end? So. Since you mentioned, you, you dropped a little mention of the cars becoming the, themselves sources of data. Um, so I think just, this is not a local government thing, this is off the beaten path, but uh, this is what our listeners love, right? Um, so recently we heard that the company who makes the robot vacuum cleaners around your house was a target, an acquisition target by one of the big, gigantic, you know, super huge companies. And I remember a conversation about that saying that maybe a part of the acquisition of the company who makes the, you know, the iRobot company who makes the Roombas is they're gathering data about the dimensions of your home. And that maybe that's part of the asset that you get by owning that company. Um, 
do you get the same chills that I do and many people do about the, I mean, you're in the data, you're in the data science world. Do you, do you share the chills that I get hearing that boy would, would be so attractive to know where people are locating the furniture inside their home. Right, right, right. Okay, so I'm not worried about my vacuum cleaner because I don't think there is a device that is communicating out that information externally. Right. I think that's a closed circuit. So I think I don't fear my vacuum cleaner, but I do fear all the information that I willingly give to the internet every time I want to search on something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told my son I needed windshield wiper blades on the phone, and the next thing I know I'm getting ads for windshield wiper blades. So you're not the only one like that's real right everybody i think feels that right when you you say something you go on facebook and all of a sudden bam you got ads for it oh, yeah. right it's happening it's yeah, happening i was talking to our, one of our research and development guys and he was explaining some uh, component of artificial intelligence and i laughed nervously and i was like this is kind of scary and and i was like waiting for him to laugh and he goes oh yes in the wrong hands this is very very bad and i was like then why are we inventing it right <laughs> The evolution of invention is happening, and you want a company like SAS that is reputable and trustworthy to be the one that's keeping it in check versus, you know, right. somebody bad. Right. Know, so. right. It still is, to some extent, I guess, uh, the wild, wild west, right? The internet and um, as we, it, these new and evolving technologies and new ways that we collect and analyze data. Again, I think that sometimes we have to catch up in terms of how we regulate it. And so somebody like SAS has the proper tools to do that and make sure that, you know, you're not getting off the beaten path. So I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and technology is the Wild West. It's going to continue to be the Wild West. But as elected officials, we have to reconcile with the fact that it's not going to go away. And we would be wise to be able to leverage this asset that we have, which is like gold, and that's our data. I think we'll leave it there in terms of the, the podcast portion. We're going to do a Q&A offline. But thank you so, so much. We, we really appreciate you being here. This is great. We're always interested in talking about technology. Data is the future. And, and we really appreciate the work that you're doing on behalf of SAS. Okay, well, thank you. It's a joy to be here.